Sean Lynn in the pub for a dram with friends where we talk about faith, family, food, and fun. Pull up a chair and I'll pour you a drink. Episode 62. We are happy to welcome Peter Thompson into the pub and hear how this man's journey with the Lord has led him all over the world. Welcome to another episode of A Dram with Friends. We are extremely excited and blessed to have Peter Thompson join us in the pub today. Welcome, Peter. Thank you so much indeed. <laughs> so we're, we've got him set up with some afternoon tea. Yes. I've been laying some flooring, so I'm going to go with the whiskey just to see if it helps the knees. <laughs> and I'll stay off the whiskey because i got to drive afterwards. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, Peter, uh, other than being a past speaker at the God Squad Conference, who is Peter Thompson? Yep, who is Peter Thompson? Goodness me. Well, um uh the years are going by and i was just pondering i had turned my three score and ten but that's now 13 years ago <laughs> so i was born in 39 and as most people recognize from my accent which i haven't lost i was born in london england uh, not within sound of bow bells but um so i'm not a cockney <laughs> there you go uh 1939 april uh, just prior to the Second World War. And uh, um, I grew up in, in London, uh, of course, with the Second World War uh, um, happening a few months after I was born. My sister, a couple of years older than me, um, we were in London during the Blitz. And uh, then um, my family left London to be evacuated. Mm -hmm. And so I was a babe and uh, went to the wilds of Wales. Um, uh, but my mum desperately wanted the Mass. And where we were, nowhere where she could get to Mass. And um, a house came up in South Wales in Carmarthen, uh, right next door to the Catholic Church, the Passionist Priest. Oh, wow. So um, uh, for the first years of my life there, I was in Wales. And when I actually, when I learned to speak, I had a Welsh accent. <laughs> they could be tough to decipher at times. <laughs> yeah, uh, but lost that when we came back to London after the war. Uh, so life gradually unfolded. Um, uh, my mum was a very devout Catholic. She was a convert to Catholicism. Um, from her side of the family, my great-grandfather had left the church in Ireland and became a Protestant lay missionary. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but then my mother had come back to the faith, and uh, my dad wasn't a Catholic, but uh, mum prayed for him, and 25 years after marriage, he became a Catholic as well. Oh, wow. Uh, so I had all the formation as a young Catholic boy growing up, and uh, I must admit that I, I was always tremendously impressed when missionaries came to preach at a parish in Ballam and Tooting, St. Anselm's. Um, and especially from the African missions. So as a young lad, I had a great desire to go to Africa and be a missionary. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> and at uh, that time, you know, in the church, um, you entered the seminary at 11 years old with the junior yeah. seminarist. It was very much part of the whole schooling yes, apparatus. Schooling. Right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But uh, my mum and dad said, no, 11 years old, you're too young. <laughs> Wait until uh, you're 16 at least. So I completed my high school, which would be you, you finished school at 16, unless you were going on to university. And uh, I entered the seminary of the Holy Ghost Fathers in the English province, which is now the Spiritan Fathers. They're called the Spiritans now. And uh, at 16, as a late vocation. <laughs> wow. A late vocation. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Father Christian would love to have, have uh, any 16-year-old have that kind of interest, right? So, uh, so uh, I was two years in the seminary, but um, you know, realized that I was really struggling with a whole issue of sexuality, a whole issue of... Um, goodness me, could I live a celibate life? Was I called to that? Uh, so after a two-year period, uh, it was discerned that no, I was not called to the um, to the celibate life, to the ordained priesthood. Um, I must admit that um, I also found uh, Latin very difficult, and uh, some of the language uh, language I was. We also had to learn French because the novitiate would have been in France. Um, but anyway, I came out after two years at 18 years old in England. And at 18 years old, every young man had to enter the armed forces. National service was still in effect in uh, that time, 1958. Uh, so uh, it was a few months after I came out of the seminary. And then if you can imagine it, from an all-male environment of a religious seminary, to then the all-male environment of the armed services. <laughs> Slightly different? Slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to go into the Navy, but they weren't taking any national servicemen. So I, uh, they said, well, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to do air sea rescue, because uh, they had launches. But just when I started, the government canceled them. So I was put on an early warning radar station up in Northumberland, uh, tracking Russian bombers coming down the North Sea. <laughs> so I spent my two years of national service um, in an underground H-bomb-proof bunker. <laughs> wow, yeah, not a lot of light gets down there. <laughs> no, so uh, it was an interesting experience. And I must admit, looking back, you know, um, the armed services for all their maybe not so good things, there are some pretty good things in the, in the context of a 18, 20-year-old to learn some discipline in life. So uh, uh, that, uh, so I came out, uh, finished that, I wondering what I was going to do in life. I had a great love of art. While I was in the National Service, I got my advanced level general certificate of education in art. And... Um, um, when I came out of the services, I actually uh, got a job as a trainee display artist in a big department store, Selfridges, in London, England, and uh, began to train as a retail display artist. That's doing windows, etc. Yeah. Wow. And um, uh, my mum, dear, my dear mother, God rest her soul, she was very concerned that I would meet a good Catholic girl. 
because <laughs> I had actually, while I was in the forces, met a young lady who was the daughter of a Scottish Presbyterian minister. And I got a letter from him saying, a papist will not marry my daughter. <laughs> I'm sure, yes. Uh, yeah, the, especially back then, the, the divisions oh, were yes. much greater uh, down religious lines. Yes, and, very much so. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I always remember it. Um, my mother had heard about this Catholic Irish youth club uh, near Westminster Cathedral. So I went up there one Saturday night and uh, got to the door and the doorman said, are you Catholic? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm Catholic. Pray the Hail Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so if you prayed the Hail Mary, you got in. So you couldn't meet any of the young Catholic girls unless you could pray the Hail Mary. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, So, yes, we... And it was that night, actually, I met uh, this beautiful young woman uh, dancing with her friend, a girl, uh, two girls dancing together, and I managed to get up the pluck, pluck up the courage to ask her to dance. And uh, that's Madeline, and we will be married for 60 years in March of this year. So, wow, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. March so, what? Uh, March the 3rd. Oh, yeah. wow. So yeah. that's coming yeah. up before the conference. Yes. Uh, now, of course, at that time, it was just a few days before... Lent, Ash Wednesday, yeah. because you couldn't get married during Lent. Okay, yeah, <laughs> which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, we, we married and um, uh, began our married life. And uh, uh, it was a tough year the first year. You know, it was a tough year in, in marriage, but um, thanks be to God. And then Madeline got pregnant very soon after we got married. So Jared, our firstborn, was born... Uh, in uh, January of 63. And, uh, and then uh, Julie came a couple of years later, and then Mark a couple of years later after that. So within five years, we had three children. Now, this is the late 60s. I was born in 64, so okay. I was the oldest. So yeah. <laughs> the late 60s and the, um, you know, the sexual revolution, but also the um, confusion in the church and um, Humani Vitae coming out. And I must admit, I, I always remember we were struggling with the, the whole issue uh, of um, um, you know, how many children, etc. And uh, our faith was at the level, quite frankly, of going to Mass every Sunday. You know. but, um, uh, and I always remember going to confession and getting some very bad advice. You know. It was a tragic period in the church, I must admit. So, um, you know, we um, we entered into that lifestyle of a rejection of life, you know. And uh, at that time as well, looking to go overseas to emigrate because the um, uh, England was pretty tough economically in the late 60s there. And we... Uh, I'd written to various countries, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, um, and um, the Hudson's Bay um, responded to a letter and interviewed me in London and said, uh, we have a position for you if you would like it, we'll pay your airfares, and can you be in Calgary in one month's time? So <laughs> that wow. was 1967. 
So we centennial. Uh, yep. So we arrived in Canada August the twenty fourth, nineteen sixty seven, in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, started as assistant display director of the Bay downtown. Oh wow! Um, so uh, in, entering into this life here in North America, which was very more, I can say, material than England in the sense of the um, expectation. So there was a hunger for money. And um, uh, quite frankly, after about three years, um, I was, you know, my faith was becoming more and more fragile. Uh, actually, I experienced uh, at, at that time, we were la- I was laid off from the bay and there was no work in my field at all. So we went back to England, actually, um, I think. Uh, but I, within a few weeks of coming back to England, decided, no, <laughs> I'd come back to Canada. And I must admit, I had enough money for my airfare, came back to Canada six months later, and my mum, God rest her soul, she thought, oh, I'd deserted the family. But I came back to, uh, I was offered a job by a, a, a chap here in Calgary who had an independent company, ADS Store Fixtures, joined them and uh, started a new life that was again 1971. And then we were going through a crisis in faith and a crisis in a marriage. You know, we had embraced the um, rejection of life. Um, still going to Mass on a Sunday, but it was very shallow. And uh, uh, I remember our, our marriage was rocky, but I thank God for my wife, Madeline, and I thank God for my mother who was praying for us. Uh, because Madeline, uh, I think it was about 1974, yeah, she was invited by a dear Polish lady um, to a prayer group at St. Gerard's. Well, I was on way on business in New York and I came back and she wanted to go to a, <clears throat> a prayer meeting on a Thursday night. I said, what do you want to go to church on a Thursday for? <laughs> and anyway, I'd drop her off at the door and come back a couple of hours later and pick her up. And that June, I got out of the car and I came in with her. And here were people speaking about Christ in a way that was intimate, that was personal. And I had never experienced that. Even though I had all the formation, even though I'd been to a seminary, etc., I didn't really know Christ in that intimate way. And... uh, uh, that uh, fall, um, one of the leaders, Cliff, Cliff White, said, why didn't you take a Life in the Spirit seminar? I said, what is it? He says, come and see, you know. And so really it is very simply the gospel message. Mm-hmm. So I, I began that uh, ser- a series of seven weeks, and it was really an opening up of the revelation I had received, but moving from the head to the heart. And uh, I remember as we were coming to what's called the fifth seminar where you pray, you renew your baptismal vows, essentially. And uh, a young man, one of the leaders, Dick Schneider, he said, do you want to go on a retreat? It was a live-in retreat. You may have heard about the live-ins there. Yeah. yeah. And it was very early on, and I said, yeah, let, let's go down there. It was in Lethbridge. And it was a beautiful weekend, but what was special about it I hadn't been to confession in a long time. And I went to a confession to Father Clare Watron. If you remember him, Father Clare was I a, don't remember him. But he was the founder of the We Live In movement. Okay. Actually. Yeah. 
and brought all the filth and dirt into the light. And it was an amazing just to have the wisdom of the Spirit speaking through him. When he laid his hands upon me and gave me those words of absolution, it was just an amazing moment of God's love and mercy and peace. And always remember, you know, you, so often sometimes you don't remember the penance you're giving, but I remember that penance. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a similar experience. Uh, I had been away from confession for quite a long time, mm. and I ended up going to see this little Vietnamese priest down at mm. St. John's, mm. and I joked that... Uh, after I went to confession, it burned down. So, uh, mm. uh, but <laughs> it, uh, he took me up on, he actually took me up on the altar and sat me in the chair mm. and did, uh, we, we, we did the reconciliation and then same thing. He put his hands on me and mm. I will, it was life giving. Like it yes. was just life changing. <laughs> yeah. When you think of the power of that sacrament, yeah, the, the power of God's mercy and love penetrating the depths of our spirit yeah but, uh, yeah but that that penance was romans 8 romans 8 and father said put your own name wherever you can and i, I found romans 8 in my bible my brand new bible <laughs> and the first words for now there is no longer any condemnation for you because you are in christ jesus and I was alone in the chapel before the tabernacle and I shouted it out, Peter, you're no longer condemned because you're in Christ Jesus. And then the final words, nothing can separate you from the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus. You know, And so began a new life in Christ again. Then the next uh, couple of days later, renewing my baptismal vows, being prayed with for the release of the graces of my baptism, you know, and confirmation and that was the beginning of an of a, of a new journey in christ that's been going now since 1974 and it wasn't long because i was called into leadership and the prayer group and then um uh you know carrying on serving in different ways working and uh, I, I gradually life is unfolding and i turned 50 years old and thought lord what is, what do you want for me the rest of my life you know 50 years. It's kind of a, <laughs> a uh -huh. moment in time. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. And, and and now in retrospect, like you're 82 because my yep. dad was born in 39. So I'm, yeah. I'm good with math. <laughs> and, uh, and like 50 is very young yeah. in comparison. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I turned, I'm 58. So mm. it's, uh, I'm too trying to discern God. Where do you want me, and uh, <laughs> how do you want to use me? So, what what is what did he do with you? During well, what he did was um, uh, so we were just at the beginning of the decade of evangelization. John Paul II had called for ten years, uh, awakening the church to prepare for the great jubilee year of two thousand, and Madeline had been given a book uh, called Awakening the Giant. 
by a, an Irish priest, Father Pat Lynch, in England, um, Awakening the Giant of the Catholic Church. It was based on... Is he still there? Uh, he's, he's founded a community in Ireland now called Cayley Community. I think my daughter met him. Did it? Oh, okay. <laughs> he's over there as a missionary. And, yeah. Uh, I think I saw him on a Zoom call. Okay, there you go, so. there you go. Um, but um, it was based on uh, Evangelii Nunziandi by Paul VI. And uh, so I read it and uh, was curious. And uh, Madeline said, well, write to him. So he said, well, when you're next in England, England just come and visit us. You know. And at the time, actually, 1990, um, um, it was amazing because uh, Madeline had been to Medjugorje a few years ago. I hadn't gone with her. But um, uh, she called me from the, li to the living room to the TV. She says, come and watch this on TV. And I said, what is it? She said, Oprah Winfrey. I said, I'm not interested in Oprah Winfrey. No, she said, she's interviewing a, a religious sister, a nun, Sister Bridge McKenna. And so I came in, and Bridge was speaking of Medjugorje. And I felt a stirring in my heart. I should make a pilgrimage, okay? And then we'll go and visit Father Pat when we come back to London. So I, I left in September, and... On my own, Madeline said, go on your own, then I'll meet you in London afterwards. And I said, well, I was named after St. Peter, so I'll go to Rome. And I love Francis, so I'll go to Assisi. <laughs> it, and I got to ask, because uh, I was there with the boys' rugby team in Assisi. <laughs> mm. It's a different place. Like, mm. everybody I've talked to, there's a, a sense of peace there. There's oh. there's just something about that place. That place, amen. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. So I went to Medjugorje, you know, uh, by rail, train, nights across the um, all across Europe, and it's, at that time it was still Yugoslavia under communist control, and finished up on arriving on Mary's birthday, September the eighth, and. Um, I always remember the homily because the priest said, you know, if you had a difficulty with Mary, and I must admit that Jesus was Lord of my life, but Mary was on the back burner. You know? And he said, what are the last words of Mary recorded? Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> the marriage feast of Cana. And the last words of Jesus from the cross to John, you know, take Mary as your mother. And the next day we had mass at the top of the mountain, of the big cross. Mm -hmm. And he said, when I raise up the host at the moment of consecration, do what Mary tells you to do. Listen to Jesus and take Mary as your mother. <laughs> and I always remember I did that and then carried on to Rome, carried on to Assisi. And then right back in London, met Madeline. We went up to um, Zion community in Birmingham just to look at them and see. And uh, we talked with them for the day, and Father Pat spoke to us, and he invited us to consider coming full-time doing parish mission work. Now, they parish missions with three-week missions, mm -hmm. two weeks of door-to-door -door evangelization, oh, wow. and a week of preach mission. And Madeline, God bless her, said, well, Father, yeah, but I'm just a mother and housewife. I don't have any university degrees. <laughs> yeah, not needed. Not needed. <laughs> and he turns to both of us, says, if not you who, if not here where, and if not now when. 
And I remember that night, I couldn't get to sleep, and so Madeline said, well, go down to the, the chapel. And I went down to the tabernacle in the chapel, and I was kneeling there in the dark, just the tabernacle light. I said, Lord, what do you want? And one word, not aloud, and just the word, you know, the, in, the, in the core of one's mind, everything. <laughs> everything. So we came back to Canada. Madeline stayed on with her family for a little bit. The first letter I got was the company was in financial problems, didn't have a job anymore. <laughs> so the next year we went back to do a trial mission. Okay. Uh, on the west coast of Scotland uh, in Ardrossan. And uh, the rain coming at you horizontally from the Atlantic. <laughs> and I always remember uh, I was walking down to the church one morning and thinking, do I really want to live out of a suitcase, leave home for a year? You know. Yeah. Uh, but the gospel acclamation was, he who has left uh, family, etc., etc., for the sake of the gospel will receive a hundredfold. <laughs> So we said yes, and we came back to Birmingham. We did the three-week mission, and Father said, now you've said yes. I know you're thinking, well, where are you going to live or how are you going to live when you come here? Because we didn't have any money. I'd been out of work now for nearly a year. And um, uh, so he took us about a 10-minute drive. He said, while you were away discerning, a couple called the community and said, we have this house we don't need for two years. Can you use it rent-free, fully furnished? So Father said, there you are. You have a home between missions, rent-free. <laughs> wow. How God provides. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's, yeah. The, that takes an amazing amount of courage and trust and to, to let go to, yeah. like, to that extent. Yeah. To, my hat's off to you. <laughs> it was letting go, you know, uh, and it was a beautiful experience. I mean, pretty frightening at times, yeah. You know, but a beautiful experience. But what I experienced there, what we experienced, was the two week where you're out door to door, knocking on doors. You know, you what we would do, they would do a, a survey before to find wherever there was a Catholic presence, practicing or non-practicing. So the average would be maybe a 900 to 1,000 homes that we would visit as a team. We'd have a mission priest, a couple of sisters, and maybe eight or ten lay people on the team. And it was an amazing experience, you know, to knock on doors and to share one's faith. I always remember a little thing in the, in the, when we did our trial mission. And I was out with Sister Rita, and... Uh, I had kind of, she was doing the introductions, and then she said to me, Peter, it's your turn. You do the introductions, you know. So we would always make a sign of the cross on the door, and knock on the door, and I remember this young lady came to the door, and the whole body language is, who are you? You know, and I mumbled something, where we're from St. Peter's Catholic Church, and she responded, I don't go to church, I don't believe in God. You know, and I, I said, well, I'm sorry I bothered you, you know. <laughs> And Sister Rita, my dear, you don't believe in God? You don't go to church? Can you tell me why? You know? And anyway, we got, gradually she opened up. And then uh, we invited to the, to the mission. I don't know if she came. But then finally when we were leaving, Sister Rita took my arm and she said, Peter, 
you don't let them off the hook that easily. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting just trying to have those conversations, and, and that's where Jeff Cavins, we did his Activated Disciple, just learning how to talk to people. Yeah. We've, we've been doing it on the motorcycle rides with them. Mm. It's a lot easier when you are together yeah. as a group because you are you kind of got backup, right? Rather yeah. than you're on your own at work. Mm. It takes that extra ounce of courage to to, <laughs> to talk about it. And he talks about the charisma, mm. the basic gospel message. Yeah. Just sharing that. It's not like you're ramming it down their throat. You're just sharing mm. why... why why you've had these this beautiful experience with God and yeah. and who He is to mm. you, right? So. Yeah, I I I'd love going out with Madeline because Madeline is an Irish. She's born in Ireland, so she has the Irish uh, just freedom to speak, you know. And she would just break in through and uh, and challenge people beautifully, lovingly, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was always great with her. <laughs> well, she'll be. Happy to know our daughter's over there with Net Ministries right okay. now, doing wow. uh, yeah. trying to re-evangelize Ireland. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's wonderful. Yeah. So we did our two year. We did two years and uh, came back to Canada and thinking we could start off something similar. Mm -hmm. um, met with um, uh, Father uh, uh, Bishop Paul. Yeah. And he gave us freedom to develop my apostolate. There was no money. <laughs> uh, so we did a few of those big missions here. We actually, the first one was um, Ascension Parish. Okay. When it, we had Lutherans as well. We did a yeah. joint mission with the Lutherans and Catholics. Okay. And then we did another one at St. Mark's. Over 2,000 visits we did there. Wow. Uh, with a big team. We, we got a lot of parishioners with us. And um, then I uh, did uh, another one out in BC, Courtney Comox. And then um, um, Father Jerry, uh, Jerry Dowling asked, uh, yeah, asked me to do one at St. Gerard's as well. But it, they just weren't going the same way uh, because it was very difficult to get teams to do it, etc. And then, um, so I was teaching and... Um, uh, my artwork had come on stream as well, so I was supporting myself as an artist, a professional artist. I uh, had done so. And then I remember one back in 96, I think it was, a lady came up to me at a conference. She said, Peter, will you go to Eritrea? I said, where's Eritrea? <laughs> she said, well, it's Africa on the Red Sea. I said, why? She said, well, uh, my priest there, and I'm from Eritrea, um, I've been sending him tapes of your teachings and he'd like you to come. So I said, well, I haven't got any money to go to Eritrea. She said, don't worry, uh, we, the Eritrean community, will send you. Wow. So uh, fall of 96, I get on a plane <laughs> and uh, fly all the way to Eritrea, landing in Asmara. I'm landing on the runway and I'm looking out the window, this burned out Russian tanks, burned out aircraft, pockmarked machine gun holes in the buildings. I, my God, what have I come to? <laughs> uh huh. And there's Father Borio in his big capuchin robes, welcomed me. And so my mission was to the Coptic Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Wow. <laughs> 
hey, who knew that was a thing? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's quite the handful. So that was my first experience of Africa. And I must admit, I thought it was my only experience of Africa. Uh, but it was a great experience, a marvelous experience. And the faith of the people there was just amazing. You know, the faith of the people. And, uh, I, you know, some of the things that when people walk past a church, they would kiss the wall of the church. You know, oh, wow. you know the, uh, it was expressive faith, you know. And especially at the high times of the Mass, the women in the high trilling, you know. It was beautiful, beautiful mm. to experience. Experience of the church in a different um, different part of the world, but also a different uh, expression of the church as well, of the universal church. Um, so uh, that was a beautiful experience. And then um, I think the, a little while later, a few, uh, I can't remember exactly time-wise now, I heard us about a CCO conference, Catholic Christian Outreach, yes. in Saskatoon. And uh, Ralph Martin uh, and Peter Herbeck were the guest speakers. So um, I said, I'd love to go. So Madeline and I uh, drove to Saskatoon. It was January, you know, around 50 below zero. <laughs> yes, yes, it can get cold there. <laughs> <laughs> and spoke to Peter Herbeck. And... Uh, um, talking about my experience and that I'd just been to Eritrea. He said, we're going to Ghana next year. Will you come? So uh, uh, next year, um, the money came from people supported me uh, to experience a mission in Ghana. <laughs> wow. uh, so that was 90, 90, 97 or 98, I think it was. And um, uh, I mean, the experiences in Africa... Uh, oh, but again, when I arrived, we arrived in Accra and um, our opening mass and Father Mike Scanlon was um, a leader of a mission team. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he said to about 22 of us, he said, look, you're all useless. <laughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> and after mass, Peter Herbert came up to me and said, change your plans, Peter. Uh, they want uh, a couple of us to go up to Koforidua to do a meet with some leaders. Can you go up there with Tom Edwards and a Ghanaian priest? And you'll, you'll miss the big rally in Accra. Sorry. Okay. But I said, oh, kind of, I've been chosen. <laughs> anyway, uh, going out of Accra and some of the experiences like the little shops, God is Great Beauty Salon. Uh, Jesus is Lord, break and a gear supply. (laughs) 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 And arrived in Koforidua, and Bishop Buckle, tall Ashanti bishop, welcomed us. And uh, I thought we would be meeting with maybe a couple of dozen leaders. He takes us to this big open air area, 5,000 people there. (laughs) So you you could envision... Jesus preaching to the 5,000. <laughs> and uh, Tom spoke a bit, and then he said to me, he said, okay, you, you sp- I can't remember what I spoke about, but I spoke. For- and then they said, go down and minister. And um, I, you know, I'm the only white face. Tom has gone somewhere else, you know. And I'm feeling useless. Well, I'm useless. <laughs> And I remember this gentleman holding his child up with withered hands, 
and um, um, uh, I think it was deaf and dumb, he said, and uh, will you pray for him? And I saw a Ghanaian priest, and I said, Father, you pray for him. You know? And I remember getting back, and I said, Lord, I blew it, didn't I? Yes, you blew it. <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Took my eyes off Jesus. <laughs> yeah, or, or quite often that's one of the things a lot of us, is, especially men, don't feel worthy or, or prepared or equipped to do that. But yeah. God will give you the words. God yeah. will give you the the abilities that you asked for. Like mm. just, he put you in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> He'll help you out of it. He'll help you out. But <laughs> so we, I'm amazing how it just unfolded. And I always remember the last big rally in Kumasi and there were thousands of people and father Scanlon, uh, to, he divided the, those with different sicknesses to come forward. You know? And, um, I remember he called the, uh, all those who were barren, the women who were barren, to come forward. And maybe, I don't know, 100, 200 women. And I'm with my translator, interpreter. And I come to this lady, she's got to be about 70 or 80 years old. And I'm thinking, why is she here? <laughs> Does she think she's Sarah? <laughs> anyway, the translator explained to me, you know, spoke to her. And what turned out was that when she was first married, she couldn't conceive. And she'd gone to a witch doctor. Soon after that, she conceived. And she had a daughter, the only child she has. Now, this daughter was married and was, couldn't conceive. Do I take my daughter to the witch doctor or do I trust Jesus? Oh, wow. Wow. So uh, he said to her, roll up your sleeve. And there were uh, scars, you know, where the witch doctor would have... Um, whatever cut the arm he said Peter lay your hands here and as I lay my hands in the name of Jesus all hell broke loose this woman goes down on the ground screaming slithering around like a snake and, and uh, but again I remember Father Scanlon's words keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus and just praying in the name of Jesus and I remember it took about six men to be able to carry her they would have places where people, uh, priests were praying for deliverance. And uh, I saw her later just very calm and peaceful. Now, I have no idea if she trusted Jesus, but those were some of the experiences that God was beginning to open up in my life. And um, it was an amazing experience over the years um, uh, to go to Ghana, um, Uganda, um, uh, Tanzania, <laughs> yeah. and then um, uh, Ralph asked me uh, to coordinate Kenya. So in 2004, I would go to Kenya every year, uh, coordinating the missions in Kenya, wow. uh, in different parts of Kenya. And Bishop Scott and, and Father Marius both talked about just how powerful and when they went to Africa, just just how moving and how how rewarding it was for them to go. Yeah, I had a Bishop Scott, uh, before he was a bishop, yeah. Father Scott, <laughs> with me in, in, um, in, uh, in Mombasa and Nairobi, but also in a place called the Taita Highlands, uh, where there's a lot of demonic activity okay. in that area. And he was with me up in that area as well. 
and um, uh, not only um, uh, Bishop Scott, but um, um, goodness me, Companion of the Cross. Um, oh dear, dear, named. <laughs> uh, he has a TV program on constantly. Father, ah. Father Mark Goring. Father Mark, yes, Father yeah. Mark Goring came with me as well. Oh, okay. As well, yeah. And I, the image I have of him hearing confessions um, in a field, you know. <laughs> uh, and that's and that's where it, it is so powerful. Just allowing God to work in your life and see where He calls you. And I'm, I'm thinking we need to, especially after the two two years of lockdown here in mm. Canada, that we mm. we're a ripe missionary field. Oh yeah, and and we need men to say yes to God to say use me mm. and it doesn't matter if you've got your theology degree or mm. anything i do not have a theology degree i or... don't have any degrees <laughs> so uh so one of the segments uh is what advice do you give your 18 year old self as you know many young men are struggling even what a man is so mm. looking back on life you know looking back at this um I thank God for the for the foundation that I received. I received a solid foundation in in the faith. Um, so you know, even though um, I um, turned away from the Lord, even though I got caught up into the world, you know, and we realize that it's it's such a, a difficult time. Stay steadfast in your faith. Regular confession. Regular confession and regular uh, be faithful to the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist and, and confession, those two sacraments, if you're faithful there, God will um, fortify you, strengthen you through all the struggles and never give up. You know, I struggled with pornography. I struggled um, or, or, uh, in that area and uh, um, for a period gave up, as it were, you know, fighting it. But don't give up fighting. And again, call upon the graces of your baptism and confirmation to release those graces uh, with you. But uh, just the heart and the core of it, those two sacraments, no matter how hard it is to go to confession, go yeah <laughs> well and you you bring up an interesting topic because i just sent steve wood an email yesterday because the latest uh cardis uh newsletter had an article about pornography mm. and how the governments are now starting to take action on it because of mm. how dangerous it is mm. to society as a whole mm. and uh and I said, Steve, you were calling this out 25 years ago, right? So, uh, so that is so important. And mm -hmm. then the other thing is Jeff Gavin's, uh, we talk about riding with our posse. So who are your go-to saints? Who are your the ones that you walk with on a regular basis? Uh, well, Francis has always been uh, being close to me. But um, um, in, the, in the context of... Um, uh, uh, especially now in in these last few years, uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman, um, uh, with his be uh, beatification and canonization, um, and reading him, and one of the a little booklet I picked up in London 
on my last mission there, 2019, was um, daily prayers uh, that he um, uh, proposed. That um, um, uh, and with that daily prayer of of life, it's um, really the wisdom of that man um, and his saintly life as a, as a witness to me. So Cardinal Newman, especially. One of the other ones I have a great love for her is um, Margaret Clitheroe. Probably don't know her, but she was uh, one of the English martyrs, a convert to Catholicism, and a holy woman. Um, so um, uh, she especially, as a, a, a holy woman who was prepared to suffer death and execution for the sake of her faith. You know, wow. um, uh, so, you know, there are multiple of saints, but uh, especially in, in this time of my life, it's um, uh, Cardinal John Newman, Henry Newman, especially. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. Well, thank you for joining us in the pub today. And mm. I, I don't know if you know, but the, the Gaelic term for whiskey is Ishkabaha, which means water of life. And I, I pray that you have led many souls to the true water of life and continue to do so. Amen. <laughs> and I will have my tea. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The elixir of life. <laughs> I hope you are enjoying this content. Please like and subscribe. Share with a friend. Also, go to godsquad.ca where you can pray with us and for us and consider donating so that we can continue our mission reaching men wherever they're at. Thank you as we begin our episode.